This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. My guest is Italian novelist Paolo Giordano. He has a master's degree and doctorate degree in theoretical physics. His first novel, The Solitude of Prime Numbers, won an Italian Literary Award in 2008. His most recent work is called The Human Body and tells the story of a platoon of men and one woman on a mission in Afghanistan. The soldiers are stationed at a forward operating base and the plot revolves around their experiences there as well as a fateful mission out in the field. Giordano spent time as an embedded journalist in Afghanistan and wrote this book in response to his experiences. We began our conversation discussing how he came to writing after being immersed in science. Even though I was really convinced that I would be a physicist in the end and that I would do research and all those things, uh, there was like a growing um, sadness in me. Uh, I wasn't feeling very happy. And and I think writing came really as a sort of search for a way out, a way of saving my life somehow. And and that's how I uh, see things right now, uh, if I look back, because uh, if the first book hadn't been so strong somehow, also in in the um, in the reaction that many people had, it, it probably would have been not enough for me to step out of that uh, path I had chosen, and I would have stuck to to physics until the end, and probably to a sort of unhappiness. So your first novel, The Solitude of Prime Numbers, was about these two people who meet as teens, and they are both misfits. They are like prime numbers. They don't fit into their worlds. They don't fit into their families. They're not very good at expressing themselves. They have a lot of feelings for each other, but they just keep sort of colliding and missing each other. Did you start that book with just the idea of that or did you start with characters what was the genesis of that for you well it was quite complex probably because for that book i didn't have like a complete idea when i started i really built it uh, sort of step by step and i think that's somehow still uh, visible in the structure that the books that the book has but what i knew was um sort of metaphor that later became the metaphor of the prime numbers. And it first started with the metaphor in physics, because in physics there are these uh, so-called entangled particles, which are a couple of particles that even when they are separated for uh, from an infinite distance, they somehow still can communicate between each other. And I, and I had this idea for... For many months, I found it very uh, intriguing and poetic, and I think that's the that's where the idea came from of this particle becoming real people separated but still mysteriously communicating between each other. And then the the other thing was that uh, I don't know why, but all the short stories I had written before were about children. And that's how the novel starts also. The two most important episodes happen in the beginning as the two characters are children. So it was very natural to start 
with it, to start with these kids, and then I slowly let them grow up. And, and I was really observing them. Uh, I, I really tried to let them do their way and to follow them. So physics paid off. <laughs> Probably, yes. To some, yeah, in some uh, weird and yeah, perverse way. <laughs> You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Italian novelist Paolo Giordano. His novel is called The Human Body. So your recent novel... The Human Body is about a platoon of men, Italian soldiers, who go over to Afghanistan and are stationed in this forward operating base. They don't see much action, but when they do go out in the field, it becomes a deadly mission. And I understand you were an embedded journalist over there? Yes, I went uh, as an embedded journalist to to Afghanistan in uh, December 2010 uh, with no idea of writing a novel. Uh, in the first place, um, I only wanted to write a reportage uh, for Vanity Fair, which I later did. Uh, but then, um, as I was staying there, um, I kind of found the story. Uh, and it happened to me for the first time, too, that it uh, happened like that. I mean, uh, something from the outside that somehow joins you at the the very right moment. What was it that really struck you over there? Many things, probably. First of all, that I found myself among these uh, soldiers, and they were so young. Many of them were even younger than me, and probably the absurdity of this struck me very much, how somehow not prepared they were not not i mean in the as trained soldiers but as human beings for being in such a in such a situation and i mean it's something that of course i knew already we all knew it but when you find yourself in it it's it's much different because you see these 20 year old guys who are facing really something that has to do with the death and life, and that really struck me. I found it kind of moving, and also this. I think it was really about the place where I ended up. Uh, this um, FOB, this uh, small base camp in the middle of nowhere. Really, there was only desert around it, and these beautiful mountains with no trees and no nature. And it was kind of weird how the place was horrible somehow because of what was happening in it, but still it was a a beautiful landscape, very charming and poetic. And so this, I think this built a sort of tension in me because I, I, in a way, I liked being there, even though it was the place you wanted the least to be in the world, probably. Your title for this novel, The Human Body, was an interesting choice. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. I think the main reason uh, for this title is that the whole idea for the novel came to me one night. I was uh, talking uh, with uh, a captain in this base after dinner, and he started to tell me what had happened a few weeks before, as they were actually going with a convey through this uh, valley, through this Gulistan Valley, and they and they fell in, in an ambush, and, and they lost some men. And he, and he told me the whole chronicle of it, in a very cold way somehow. He didn't even notice that it's structured really 
it's a sort of novel, yes, with a with a beginning and then what really goes wrong and then the consequences that they were all leaving. But the image that really stayed with me after that night and for the two years of the writing was when he told me that he and a couple of other men, after the ambush, had to jump off the, the, the vehicles and collect pieces of the bodies of the men who were who were dead in the explosion. And that was so shocking and cruel and that probably I wrote the whole book with that image in mind. It all started like the first novel somehow with with a with a trauma, but but the trauma doesn't happen in the beginning here, it happens in the middle of the book. And so it was really about the human body and how the human body even though the soldiers uh, have armors and they protect it in many ways and they seem when you look at them they look as if they are invincible almost then the human body is so frail and vulnerable and that's probably why the book is uh, so much about it and why the title is this one given the title did you feel like you had a duty to focus on the human body and what was going on there in addition to their emotional lives Yes, I think choosing that title was it, was, it was also a kind of caveat, you say. I was like talking to myself and saying, every time you describe something, you don't want to keep it uh, confined to the emotional level, but you want to show it on the body of these soldiers. And because this seemed to me more truthful with the things I saw there. I mean, everything about these men being there in this war felt kind of um, unconscious to them. So all this unconsciousness came out through their bodies somehow. And and, and that's also something I uh, personally experienced as I was there. I'm not usually someone who really takes into account his body so much. I, I, I often feel kind of detached from it, uh, especially when I write. But when I was there in Afghanistan, because of the situation and this danger that was around and this um, condition of deprivation of many basic things that we usually have, I felt as if my body became the most important thing I had. Uh, much more important than all the thoughts and all the rest. And and the first thing I had to care about in these days uh, was my body. And so I uh, kind of said to me, if you write about this, you need to keep this uh, clear in mind, that in a situation like that, uh, you need to worry about your own body before all the rest. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Italian novelist Paolo Giordano. His novel is called The Human Body. After the troops go out on their fateful mission and come back to the FOB, one of the platoon leaders is saying that he can't recognize a body and he doesn't even know who the guy was. And he has a long internal dialogue about how all the men are indistinguishable from one another. And you get a sense as a reader that they are faceless soldiers doing bidding for something so much larger, and they are just hired hands. I mean, that's also why the military forces are built as they are. You need to not to have too much amount of individuality. All these soldiers need to lose themselves, or at least a part of themselves, in this group of men. And that makes it also easier for us, I think, 
to think of them in war because we kind of lose part of the sense that they are each of them is an individual human being so it's not only a formal thing this fact that they all wear uh, equal uniforms and well not anymore but uh, at one time the same haircut and and all the rest that they are most almost indistinguishable one from another i mean one couldn't survive in a in a situation like that uh, keeping its his all uh, individuality and and that's something that i uh, realized a lot when i started uh, to write the novel because the first instinct was to tell the story of these men as if they were uh, a homogeneous single uh, group of men so it, it wasn't really about single characters but i started as a as a multitude of characters but that's not what you really want to do so uh, then in the first few months uh, all the effort was in making one by one all of these men uh, take a step forward and uh, investigate about each one's past and and emotions and all the rest so you had to build a sort of life around each of them but then this life sort of got very hidden when they were together but that doesn't happen only in the military life i think there are so many situations in uh, or jobs uh, uh, that require a smaller amount of individuality and and we need to somehow liquefy ourselves in a in a in a group there was one female in the company zampieri yes in some ways she was what you might imagine a female to be in the military she was tough she could stand up to the guys but when the pressure was on she flailed a lot she flailed when the the men intimidated her too much when she went to a shooting practice and also when she was driving and in a difficult situation where she had to just keep going what were you thinking about when you were trying to depict a woman in the military? I mean, I chose to have only one girl in the platoon because more than anything else, she had to be, of course, a character, but also a sort of symbol for the other males. Because this is somehow really a novel about young males becoming adults. The perspective of Zampieri, for instance, is uh, only touched once. I never really enter her head while I enter everybody's head around her. And since she's the only woman there, she becomes a sort of projective person for all the others. Because each of these men has a has a, some sort of open relationship to a woman. Uh, not only uh, it can be a wife or a sister or a mother... Each of them is something not really uh, resolved with someone who's at home. And since this Zampieri is the only woman there, they kind of all project their anger and insecureness and longing on her. So poor Zampieri is, was somehow sacrificed to all these men. And there is not at all a question of uh, realism in her character or about the situation of women in the army, which I didn't really care about. It was not my uh, concern while I was writing. Because this is America and it's American audience. You mentioned, um, I mean, there's a point where they 
go after they finish their dangerous mission, they go to an American base for safety before they go back to their FOB. But I'm wondering about your experience of when you were truly there um, embedded, what the attitude was towards the Americans and if the Italians felt like they were there for us, what that attitude generally is. I was in 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 an American base as well for a couple of nights while we were moving from one to another. It's, it's quite different, the, the situation of the Italian army and of the American army, not only because the Italian role there is less, it's much less active, so there are less fights and less um, actions. It's more um, like people go there and, and control and patrol some part of the country, which, has, which should have been uh, cleared up before by the American or the English. So there is this uh, idea that we are kind of like the, the, the back rows, those come after uh, after the big job is done and this also reflects i think in the in the motivations and and this is not only for the soldiers but it's quite general i think in uh, in italy and in europe we have much less uh, motivation probably for being there or, or at least motivations are uh, even less clear than they can be for for an american so uh, the absurdity of the whole thing after uh, more than 10 years uh, is, is is very high. I mean, as you said, there is this idea that we are in Afghanistan as we were in Iraq because we couldn't help but be there. And that makes things a little, yes, absurd, as I was saying. Uh, every time there's a, there's a loss or every time something um, serious happens, uh, uh, this becomes very clear. And, and for the rest of the time, people simply uh, forget about it. Uh, so I think the situation of these Italian soldiers is, uh, is very difficult because um, they're part of a, of a common unconscious, of a, of, a, of a global forgotten thing, because people really cannot figure out uh, why and how. So people simply uh, don't care so much about the situation, way less than it happens here. Uh, and that's the thing I, I really felt when I when I went there um, and I ended up among these men. Uh, this the the feeling I had was they really uh, felt like they were forgotten by their country. And and so they needed to speak. I expected them to be very uh, shy and um, evident with a with a journalist, especially or a writer. And instead, they really wanted to to talk and express because they they felt somehow forgotten. You're listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. My guest is Italian novelist Paolo Giordano. His novel is called The Human Body. I'm wondering if you can read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer. I, I chose one that was very significant for this particular novel. Every, every time I start writing something, uh, I, I look at least three or four authors that can be a sort of uh, guidance for for the book, and and each one is uh, is useful for a different aspect. And and while I was writing the human body. One of the problems for many months was that I couldn't find 
the right voice to to to, to tell the story. It, it, I felt like my way of uh, writing was too slow for the things that had to be told in the book. And so I, I started to look for someone who could show me a way to, to be faster in the writing. And at some point I wrote, I read Disgrace by John Coetzee. And after that book, I read everything by Coetzee. And I kind of retuned my voice thanks to his, because he has this very direct and sharp and precise way of saying things, which was what I was looking for. And this is the first paragraph of uh, Disgrace. For a man of his age, 52, divorced, he has to his mind solved the problem of sex rather well. On Thursday afternoons, he drives to Greenpoint. Punctually at 2 p.m., he presses the buzzer at the entrance to Windsor Mansions, speaks his name, and enters. Waiting for him at the door of number 113 is Soraya. He goes straight through to the bedroom, which is pleasant-smelling and softly lit, and undresses. Soraya emerges from the bathroom, drops her robe, slides into bed beside him. Have you missed me? she asks. I miss you all the time, he replies. He strokes her honey-brown body, unmarked by the sun. He stretches her out, kisses her breasts. They make love. Do you want to say anything about why this passage, what it did for you? It's like this beginning of novel really puts you in the middle of the action. Uh, and, and there's no uh, real action. It's, uh, the action here is the life, uh, all the life that this man has, uh, has gone through. Uh, but somehow you you feel like you're in the middle of, of the fire when you start, and and Coetzee uses these very short and cutting sentences, which for me were the only way to express what what in work can happen when when you've been waiting for weeks or months for something to happen, and then this thing happens in uh, a few seconds or a few minutes, and changes your life uh, from that time on. Can you read a passage from something that you wrote? It could have been something that was hard to write or something that changed from the first draft or something you feel you succeeded at. This is in the in a chapter called uh, Food Supplies. And first it was the uh, this was the beginning of the novel and it uh, it was the beginning for, of the novel for many months then it moved a little further in the in the story and it's probably the passage i wrote there's not another page i wrote as many times as this one i had the image very clear in my head but somehow i had to rearrange it and retune it every time that the book took another direction and so it's really the to me the symbol of the three year struggle for this novel and it goes like this The helicopter appears in the notch between the hill and the mountain, silent and tiny as an insect. The guy's eyes, all shielded by reflective lenses, turn toward the little black dot, but no one takes a step forward or unfolds his crossed arms. The aircraft descends, and they can now make out the incorporeal circles described by the whirling rotor blades. No matter how many times you've seen a C-130 approach with its rear cargo hatch open, no matter how many bone-stiffening hours you've spent traveling in it, you can't help thinking how much it resembles a bird with its ass wide open. The pellets are dropped in rapid succession. 
the cords of the parachutes, about a dozen in all, grow taut in the air, and the white nylon canopies bloom against the cobalt sky. The aircraft makes a turn and disappears in a few seconds. The parachuted containers dangle in the air like abnormal jellyfish. Something goes wrong, though. A burst of, swing, of wind slams into a parachute, which tilts over and nudges the cord of the one beside it, as if looking for company. It wraps itself around it, and the beleaguered cord, in turn, goes into a spin. The spiral they form picks up speed, and the cords get snarled up all the way to the top, strangling the canopies. The Siamese parachutes knock into two of the ones below them, and together they form a tangled knot. The soldiers hold their breath, some instinctively cover their face with their hands, while the cargo containers, intertwined and now lacking air support, plummet to the ground in free fall, the unprecedented speed dragging the heavy load down. The pool of milk spreads around the pile, skims the soldiers' boots, and mingles with the tomato puree. The birds of prey, which have already started wheeling about in ever tighter circles, mistake it for an inviting puddle of blood. The parched soil quenches its thirst by quickly soaking up the red liquid. It stays dark for a few seconds, then forgets it was ever moist. So why was that so hard for you to get? Because it was probably the first time I tried to write something that was kind of epic in a way, a very wide image, not confined to somebody's mind and perspective. So it's a very wide scene with this parachutes and falling down. Uh, so it was somehow the biggest thing I'd ever tried to describe. And this took me, this took a, a big uh, jump forward probably and, and, a, and a bit of self-confidence, which probably I didn't have yet. Where do you write? I write, uh, I basically only can write in my office, which I call the the bunker. It's a small room, three floors down uh, the apartment where I live. So I basically write at home. And what do you do or where do you go to get away from writing? I have this um, small house in uh, southern Italy, in Puglia. There are these very typical uh, buildings down there, which are called uh, Trulli. And they are country buildings like uh, that look a bit like the seven dwarfs houses. And I have one of them. And when I go there, I only do some gardening, take care of flowers and all these things, which I'm not very good at, actually, but I try to do it. Who do you show your work to first to get feedback? My wife is always my first and last reader. And I totally rely on her judgment. So we have some fights, some fights from time to time. Uh, for instance, for the human body, there was a lot of fighting because she didn't want me to write a book of this kind. Uh, and so the fact that I need to convince her about what I want to do is always the process that I need to get to where I want. How have you dealt with rejection? I usually don't start with very high ambition or yeah, self-confidence. So I, I, I never really believe that one thing I do will make it to somewhere. So I'm usually quite okay when rejection happens because I, I, I truly don't believe in things until they, they happen. I'm quite skeptical always about the, 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 the possibilities of what I do. And what is your 
favorite word? I thought a lot about it, and I, I think I really don't have a favorite word, or probably they change rather fast. But I, I realized I have a word that comes up in the writing much more often than it should. So I, every time I, I read what I did, I had to cancel it many times. And the word is uh, maybe, which I think says a lot about attitude with which I, I, I write and live. Maybe. You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing produced at Aspen Public Radio. My guest was Italian novelist Paolo Giordano, author of The Solitude of Prime Numbers and The Human Body. You can follow First Draft on Facebook. Just look for First Draft, a dialogue on writing and click like and on Twitter at First Draft APR. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. Thanks for listening.